Welcome back to another episode of the Lynx Golf Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Graylin Loomis, and I'm joined as always by co-host Ian Kreitzer. Ian, how's it going? And then after you tell me how you're doing, introduce us to this day's topic. Yeah, uh, doing well, first of all. Um, and the topic today, I think we're going to, we're going to just kind of start to talk about a, uh, a golf destination that not many people from the States will have either been to or thought about going to, but also kind of branch out into um, kind of golf destinations that many people would not have, would not think to go to. So kind of branching off of one of your things that you did for links. Um, and that was a trip to Australia. Yes. So how Melbourne. was that? Melbourne, Australia. Melbourne, sorry. Yeah, to be more specific. Yeah. yeah. So for those who listened to all of our episodes, you'll have heard us do one about underrated golf destinations. And one of my underrated golf destinations was Melbourne, Australia. And I, I said that uh, not in the sense that people thought golf in Melbourne wasn't as good as it is, but more in the sense of people don't think it's a place they could go because Australia is so far away, quote unquote, um, and it's difficult to get to. And once I'm there, you know, how will I get around? It's it's just easier to go somewhere else. Right. And while some of that is true, um, today it's worth we're going to. Yeah, today we're going to talk about the way that I did it. And, and I actually found it, uh, frankly, um, fairly easy. And part of that was due to having friends down in Melbourne who could help set up some things. But I also learned that uh, golf in Australia is much like golf in the UK, um, meaning it's pretty darn accessible. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it's very, very good. So with that, I'm going to kind of jump into how I did this trip mm-hmm. and we can talk about, um, a number of different factors. Um, as with some of our other episodes, Ian is going to kind of act as the, the interviewer, if you will. And then I'm going to act as kind of the guy who the did g- the trip. The, the, so. the, guy, the guy who's been everywhere. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, um, I'm lucky <laughs> that, that said, that said, I do have a trip plan for Australia in 2020. So I'm looking yes. forward to that. Um, with a lot of some people that you guys uh, hung out with while you were down there. Um, yeah. So, as far as getting down there, it's there's no it's no secret that it's a it's a long ways, right? Yes. So, how did you start to plan flights? Um, and did you allow travel days in between? Uh, you know, stuff like that. Um, jet lag, I'm sure, is a huge, huge deal yep. uh, with something with a flight that long because I think it's something like 17 hours. Is that right? 17 hours. From LA, from LA, right. And so if you're coming from, from the East, East Coast, Coast, yeah, it was even longer, right. So I, I I'm gonna give kind of the full scoop of, Go of how it. I did this. Yeah, um, my dad uh, is a physician, and um, long story short, through uh, attending a conference down there, um, dad went to a conference, and uh, this conference allowed you to bring a spouse or a partner and uh lucky for me i pose as dad's partner <laughs> and it sounds funny to say but yep. hey it's whatever works man <laughs> yeah no. no judgment on the league's golf podcast no, never never and i got to go down there and tag along with him so as part of the deal um this was going to be a short trip and and that was kind of one of the big factors was Everyone I knew that had been to Scott or excuse me, been to Australia before had spent 
upwards of two, three, even four weeks down there. Just getting in everything because it's Trying like a once get in a lifetime. It's like, like, if yeah. I'm going down there, I'm getting in everything. Similar to Scotland. I mean, similar to Scotland, England, whatever, yeah. um, but harder to reach. Right. So with us, I knew I was going to be there a total of five days on the ground, which is such which a short amount of time. Nuts. Yeah. And in hindsight, it's kind of nuts. But it was totally doable. So we flew from Asheville, North Carolina to Chicago, Chicago to L.A., L.A. to Melbourne, Australia. And um, we paid at one point on the big flight, I think it was $150 each to upgrade to the extra leg room uh, part of the flight. And of worth course, it. You're, on so a, worth you're it. on a huge plane. Yeah. And the extra leg room part of the flight allowed people who were, um, let's say, inside of you, so or well, outside of you, I guess, people who were sitting closer to the window to walk past you without waking you up. Oh, God. And Makes what, sense. What, which is really, really nice, because on a 17-hour flight, people are getting up to use the bathroom, getting up to walk around. Of course. And if you're sleeping, kind of annoying to have somebody get up and kind of tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, I hey, need to Hey, kind of step by, and they're like, okay, I can't go back to sleep now. Yeah. Yeah. So we arrived in Melbourne, Australia, and um, I kind of adopted the attitude of, we're here, we're here for five days, I'm going to push it to the limit and I'm going to just zone in and be ready to go for five days. I'm not going to have a day of recovery where I sit yeah. there and sleep for a day. Um, we're going to just go. It's going, so, going full tilt. Full exactly. tilt boogie. Yeah. So we actually went and played a, a local kind of area municipal course Um yeah, I, I, you're, you're making a face right now. No, I, 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 I didn't know I don't this. think you yeah. knew this. No, I didn't. So we had kind of a warm-up where we played a uh, local municipal course and um, just kind of got our chops and got in some exercise, went back to our hotel. The next morning was really our first day of the trip, yeah. and that was at Metropolitan Golf Club. Oh, that's a, that's a heck of an opener. I mean, Big opener, but also a course that a lot of people don't know about. Um, he, I wrote a piece about this trip for links and I referred to it in that piece as the dark horse of the trip. Right. Um, metropolitan or Metro, as a lot of people call it is known for having terrific course conditions and lightning it, fast greens, lightning from what fast I've heard. greens, yeah. totally lived up to, to what we had in our minds. But one of the things it's also known for are greens, where the putting surface mm -hmm. is mowed all the way to the edges of the bunkers. Which is so cool. Looking. And it's, imagine very, very sharp bunker edges. Yeah. So you could putt and easily kind of putt across a green and have it trickle right into a bunker. And I don't mean kind of trickle off the green, down a slope, and off like it know, just through rolls. the fairway. Yeah. No, the greens are mowed at, say, like a 12 or 13 on the stint meter. Yeah into a bunker um, our, our buddies uh, put up a no uh, our buddies at no laying up put up a video uh, way you know a couple years ago uh, called the brown at metro the massacre at metro or something along that line yes because they just put it into bunkers and just like oh but it was so much fun looked like yes yeah so I really enjoyed the course I, I will say um, and I, I think this was generally the consensus down there the piece of land that Metropolitan is on is not as great a piece of land as, say, Kingston Heath or Royal Melbourne. Mm -hmm. um, 
but the course is pretty much just as good. I, right. I mean, it's very, very good and very underrated. The dark horse uh, mantra is, is very fitting for sure. Totally, totally, totally. So um, we thoroughly enjoyed Metropolitan and I played that with my dad. So oh, cool. th- th- that yeah. was very, very rewarding to play yeah. that with my dad. Um, of course, he was down there actually for work. So he wasn't able to join for every round. Yeah, That was one that we were able to share together. And um, and we we just loved it. So I would play Metropolitan again in a heartbeat. Yeah. Um, it just it it was a great introduction to uh, sandbelt golf. And right. and I before we really get into the next, yeah. I, I should take a step back and let's talk a little bit about the Melbourne Sandbelt. So the Sandbelt is an area I believe it's south of Melbourne, Australia, uh, kind of south side of the city. Um, and it is sandy soil that is perfect for golf. Yeah. And we've kind of compared the sand belt to London's belt of Heathland golf courses. Mm -hmm. Um, but both are similar in that they're terrific. They have a lot of character and are perfect for golf. Yeah. So jumping into day two, um, it was a little bit of a mix. We, I started the morning at Victoria golf club and um, that is one that has uh, it's a historic club um, on gently rolling land a little bit more up and down movement than than we had at uh, Metropolitan but um, another sandbelt course with a lot of history a lot of interest some of those similar greens where uh, they're big undulating greens that spill down into bunkers. Uh, but what stood out to me was the piece of land. It mm-hmm. was very, very good rolling golf. Um, so more striking than Metro per se. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, the sand belt is known for having very, very good short par fours. Mm-hmm. Um, and one hole Love in particular. Love a good short par four. Yeah. yeah. They, the 15th at Victoria is one of the best risk-reward risk uh, par fours that, that I've ever seen. So the course really stood out to me as, as something else and very special. And at one point you get out to a far end at Victoria and you can actually see Royal Melbourne oh, cool. through the hedge. Right. Um, which is cool because you really do get a sense of we're on a strip of land that is perfect. And a lot of these courses share that piece of land. Yeah. Um, I could go on and on about this, but Victoria has some very, very good uh, accommodation options in the clubhouse. Mm-hmm. So if you're there on a golf trip, consider staying in the Victoria clubhouse. Um, some golf geeks will know the name Michael Clayton. Yep, He is a an Australian um, former professional player, now golf course architect. He's the guy that fell on his ball. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, he'd probably hate me for saying that. But he's the guy who famously, out of frustration, flipped his putter. His putter <laughs> then fell and hit his ball. As he, he dived for he it. He then dived for the putter. He hit the ground, and the ball rolled and hit him. Right. And th- this is in a professional tournament. Correct. Um, but that said, his his Twitter handle is the guy who fell on his ball. Exactly. So he, he is he owns the guy it. who fell on his he ball. Owns he yeah. owns it. But a great um, guy from all accounts. And, and very, very knowledgeable. Yeah, so absolutely. he is the consulting designer, consulting architect at Victoria. And I actually got to play with him. Oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah. It, which was great because I got to learn a lot from him. 
Um, and that kind of brings me to another point about Australian golf. A lot of the courses down there were built um, kind of throughout the decades, but many kind of in the golden age of golf in the you know 20s, 30s, and the woke ages. 40s. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Where, where <laughs> uh, a lot of the golfers today, who, who we jokingly call the woke golfers, um, yeah, where where they think the best golf courses were made, right. where, where I think a lot of people agree that the best golf courses yeah. were made in that era. Yeah. Um, but uh, those courses were built back in those days and many today have what what they generally can call consulting architects or consulting designers right so for instance tom doak is the consulting architect at royal melbourne and royal melbourne instead of shutting down and doing a full tilt we're going to close and do six months of renovation work and six months of growing in and then we're going to open a year later they just slowly but surely tweak the course right. and over time the work happens and over time everything gets better and that was kind of a theme at a lot of the um the sandbelt courses and yeah. michael clayton is that architect of victoria so it was fun to go around with him and learn about what they're trying to do learn about um the changes that, that are in the pipeline and i i couldn't have enjoyed it much more when we finished that round I then hopped in the car with a friend, and we drove out of the Melbourne Sandbelt to a place called St. Andrew's Beach. Oh, yeah. Which is a co-design between Tom Doak and Michael Clayton, who okay. we just talked about. Right. And everyone knows Tom Doak. So. And everybody knows Tom <laughs> Doak. Um, so St. Andrew's Beach is down on um, a place called the Mornington Peninsula, okay. south of Melbourne. And it was completely different than anything we saw on the Melbourne Sandbelt. Um, big, giant, wide fairways. Uh, you have um, some beautiful areas bordering the ocean. Um, the course was just huge. Yeah. Huge fairways. Huge greens. Scale just huge, massive. Yeah, yeah. Scale was amazing. Views were amazing. Um, and and we just loved it. it what stood out to me was going from um, two courses at Victoria Metropolitan that were kind of in the Melbourne suburbs, if and you kind will. of on tight pieces of property, on too. fairly tight yeah. pieces of property. You're suddenly on a place where land was clearly not an issue, right? And you have fairways that are like a hundred yards wide. I'd still miss them, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> big big holes, um, and and loved it. So big thirty six hole day. My dad was not with us for that. Mm -hmm. um, hey, just really quickly, how far was yeah. the drive between uh, Victoria and St. Andrews Beach for you those know, who aren't familiar? Over an hour, okay. under two hours. Um, we stopped, but you, you didn't have to stop. Um, I'd say if you went right on through, planned for an hour and a half. Okay. Um, it, we, uh, we just really, really enjoyed it, and it offered a very good alternative to sandbelt golf if you wanted to add an extra course um and and i i would go back and play it in a heartbeat for sure for sure so day three was one of the really big heavy hitters 36 holes at royal melbourne's east course and royal melbourne's west course now for the top 100 list hunters out there they will know that royal melbourne is one of the only courses in the world that has both of their courses 
frequently placing in the top 100 in the world. It, it, for people who aren't familiar, it's like a winged foot almost it's of like Australia. It's like where you have winged foot east yeah. and west. Yeah, it's similar to winged foot. Right. And a lot of people would say Royal Melbourne West is the best course in Australia. Yeah. Um, when they play the Australian Open there or when they play like the President's Cup down there, they play um, a composite course that takes the best holes from the east and the best holes from the west. So, of course, if you're going to go down there playing 36 between those two, you see it all. You're going to have a good time. Yeah, you're going to have an amazing time. Yeah. It's it's one of the ultimate bucket list experiences in my mind. Um, it, it combined the best of the greens and the green complexes at Metropolitan with the best terrain that you had at Victoria. Right. I mean, I, it, it just was the best of the best. Yeah. And I was absolutely blown away. What then further drove the point home was going into the Melbourne, excuse me, Royal Melbourne Clubhouse. And you see that um, Alistair McKenzie spent not a whole lot of time there, but um, a few weeks there yeah. drawing up a master plan. And then Alex Russell, a guy on the ground, did all the shaping. And they were shaping that course with horse-drawn plow and scoop. Um, That's always amazing to me, like, back in the day. like Just incredible. And it shows how good that piece of land is because all they had to do was kind of dig out bunkers and shape greens. Yeah. And then the land did the rest. Yeah, which is incredible. Um, And then at the end of the day, you look at it and you realize – we are in the city of Melbourne. I mean, you're not way outside. You're not south of the city. No. You're in Melbourne. Yeah. Um, so they have 36 holes there and an impressive clubhouse. Um, we just couldn't have had a better time. Yeah. The uh, what, what was pretty impressive was finishing, going into the clubhouse, um, reading some of the history, having lunch, having a couple pints, and thinking, whoa. You know, this, this is huge. I've just experienced two of the best courses ever. Yeah. We're in the Southern Hemisphere. I'm a 30-hour trip from home. Yeah. What in the world am I doing Toilets here? are flushing the opposite way. Yeah. No. <laughs> Everything is opposite. Everything's crazy. It's bizarro. No. Um, and you're thinking, I'm three and a half days into this trip. Yeah. And I've seen four courses I mean, really, five courses yeah. between East and West at Royal Melbourne, Victoria, St. Andrews Beach, and uh, Metro. Metropolitan. Yeah. I've seen some absolutely terrific golf. I'm three days in. Yeah. You're I mean, like, they, you're like, whoa. Yeah. Okay. At this point, a five-day trip doesn't seem all that insane. Right. So day four uh, was actually arguably my favorite day of the trip um and that was around at kingston heath kingston heath is one of the few courses i'd say i probably have five courses where i've left and thought if i could join here i would immediately just take take my money sort of moment (laughs) (laughs) you know just take it all yeah and and i will do whatever i can to join here Kingston Heath was one of those places. I mean, heck, Royal Melbourne was too. Of but, course, but um, Kingston yeah. Heath was the final round of the trip. Um, the The land there was a little bit less uh, hilly than Royal Melbourne, um, but what made it special for me as well is 
you know, my dad joined for the first round at, at the municipal course and he joined for Metropolitan and then he joined for the final day too at Kingston right. Heath. Um, Special. so it really is. Yeah, yeah. Dad and I arrived, we met our friends there. We went into the clubhouse to check in and you're handed a bag tag, which I guess lets, you know, the starter know that, that you paid your fees. Uh, but you're handed a bag tag that says honorary member. That's cool. Yeah. Which is, it's a whole mindset. You're not treat. It doesn't say visitor. It doesn't say guest. It doesn't say member guest. It says honorary member. And, and then they kind of have that ethos of you're a, a visitor here at Kingston Heath. But while you're here, you're going to be treated as a member. Right. And, and we found that the whole day. Um, so, I thought that the green complexes at Kingston Heath were some of the best I've ever seen in the entire world. Um, the courses play, all of the courses in the sand belt, and Kingston Heath in particular, played like a Lynx course that you would find in the UK. Right. Um, with some of the conditioning that you find in the US, with that really unique, super sharp bunkering <clears throat> that which you, you really which you don't only see find in, the world. in Australia. Yeah. Um, the, the course is very playable, less than 7,000 yards. <clears throat> when I was there, they only had two sets of tees out, one for men, one for women. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, it, it was just one of the, the great golf experiences of my life. And to play it with my dad was was one of the best experiences I've ever had. For sure. And, and good buddies, too. Uh, added to and that. very good friends yeah. at that. And a friend of ours, Simon, as well. <laughs> Shout out yep. to Simon. Yeah. Yep. But. So we just had a, a terrific day. Um, and I want to bring up a couple points that you have at Kingston Heath <clears throat> that are indicative of all the courses down there. Um, one, I mentioned earlier that the courses are like the courses you find in the U.K., what I meant by that was they are technically private courses, members' courses, but in each case they have days that visitors can come and play. <clears throat> so, um, you know, just like Muirfield, one of the most exclusive clubs in the world, terrific experience, um, very, uh, you know, hard to get on, <coughs> but visitors can come and play Tuesday and Thursday mornings. It's similar in the in Australia and in the Sandbelt where rural Melbourne, one of the great exclusive clubs, visitors can play Kingston Heath, same thing. Um, the other interesting thing that, that I found down there was uh, the prevalence of a 19th hole. And I don't mean a bar. Right. <laughs> um, literally a 19th hole a on bet the golf course. Yeah. A, a bet-settling hole. Um, but in quite a few cases, the bet-settling hole is actually put into rotation. And oh, they, right. And yeah, they yeah, do yeah. that to alleviate uh, stress usually from one of the holes on the course. Now we talked about how there are consulting architects. The consulting architect is constantly doing work on the course in many cases, and they'll frequently shut down a hole to so do work on it. And when that hole is shut down, that 19th hole comes into play. So, uh, for instance, we played the 19th hole, um, at Kingston Heath and in turn, one of the par threes on the course had been pulled out of the rotation. Um, 
at Royal Melbourne, for instance, on the West Course, we ended up just playing 19 holes, right? And, which was pretty darn fun. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um. So it it was just a a mix of what really six rounds seven rounds even depending on whether you, you want to count our uh, muni round right um five days we then finished up our rounds kind of took a breath dad had been at conferences all, all the time <laughs> and, you, and you've been struggling playing golf i, mean, I, I had just, been just suffering playing golf it's a tough life to be grand limits folks it really is <laughs> very tough life and ended up uh playing you know a what i consider to be in hindsight some of my favorite golf courses i've ever played some of the best courses in the world yeah um in five days in melbourne australia and then came back home the whole trip was about a week i, I believe it was saturday to saturday so when i say five days i mean <laughs> and a true really like five four days. and a half yeah. five days on the ground down there Flights are expensive, um, depending on the time of year you go. We went in September, which is kind of the shoulder season. Keep in mind, <clears throat> the seasons are flipped. So December, January, that's summer. Um, July and August, that's winter. Um, but when we went down there, it was $1,800 for flights. And while that does seem expensive, from the East Coast, flights to the UK right now are over a thousand dollars. Yeah, they, I've, I've looked into them; they're like twelve hundred or something like that. So, thinking about that, um, you know, you aren't spending a tremendously greater sum of money yeah. to fly down to Australia, right? <clears throat> so, with that, Ian, let's wrap this one up. Yeah, <clears throat> I've enjoyed talking about Australia. It was one of the most memorable trips I've taken in the last four or five years. I just loved it. Well, and, and you got me super excited about my trip uh, next year. So <clears throat> yes, that'll be that'll be great. And uh, taking these tips with me and put uh, a grain of salt and looking forward to it. So yeah. So if if you want to read more about this trip, you can find more on linksmagazine.com. Once you're there, you can sign up for our e-magazine, Links Digital. It's free. You can sign up for uh, a subscription to the print magazine. You can uh, send us an email at letters at linksmagazine.com. You can also reach out to us. We're at Links Magazine everywhere on social media. So with that, Ian, we're going to call this one, and I hope everyone enjoyed this episode, and I hope it inspired you to, to think about traveling to somewhere that might not be on your list. Thank you for me. Yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> Perfect. Well, Ian, I'll see you next week. Sounds good.